0: Uh, we are starting a brand new series entitled The Greatest Commandment. Quite a well-known um, part of Christianity, even if, I wager, even if you don't know much about the Bible, you know about The Greatest Commandment. i heard of it before. And the thing that instigated Jesus revealing what The Greatest Commandment was was a question, what is the most important commandment? What's the thing that I need to focus on? What is, out of all the 613, because as Jews, in that time, where Jesus was around on earth, there were 613 commands that Jews needed to fulfill. They needed to obey, 613, give or take one or two, right? That's a lot, that's a lot. And on top of that, the teachers and leaders of the day added on a whole bunch of other laws to help the people keep the 613 laws, right? In order to help them out, to make sure they didn't break the 613, they added on more laws. And so it was a very pertinent question that was being asked to Jesus. So out of all these laws that we need to do, what is the most important one? Jesus wasn't the first rabbi or teacher to be asked this question and he wasn't the first to answer this question, but we need to pay attention to his response because it has huge implications for how we live our lives. Um, this question, underlying this question, is actually a question on what do I focus on? Are the 613 plus everything else, what command do I focus on? It's kind of like if I would say, if you don't remember anything I've said today, remember this one thing. right? Have you heard communicators say that before, speakers say that before? If you don't remember anything I've said, just remember this one thing. That's a signal to you to say that I've said a lot of stuff that you may not remember, but if there's one thing that I want you to focus on and take away from here, it is this one thing. Because if you remember and you take away this one thing, you would have understood the entire message. This one thing is key to understanding everything that I've said. So, what is being asked of Jesus is this. What is the one commandment that unlocks all the other commandments? If I get this one commandment right, everything else kind of falls into place. And here is why this is very pertinent and relevant to us today. Because we live very complex lives with a lot to do and a lot to focus on. We've got kids in the auditorium today. Hi kids, welcome to to the service. Um, But even you, right, there's a lot that you need to do. I mean, you've got school and even in school, you've got all these subjects that your parents tell you, you need to be good at all of them. Right? I heard a yes. That was very emphatic. (laughs) Um, And you've got other stuff as well. You've got extracurricular activities. you got Piano or violin, I'm guessing. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> how do I know? Because I've been there. And so um, <clears throat> Piano, violin or musical instrument of some kind. You've got a sport as well, if not multiple sports, depending on how gung-ho you are. Right? And you've got other things like tuition and all this other stuff. You've got all these things that, that people tell you all these things are important. Plus, you've got your own hobbies as well. Right, go your own interests. All these things are very important. And if you're not a kid, right, your life is still very complex. You got work, family, friends, your own interests. You got what the church tells you is important, like devotions, go to this connect group, you got to pray, you got to make sure you keep up with your reading plans, you got to come to service, you got to serve. So many things, all these good things that you need to do. What is the most important thing? What is the one thing that we need to focus on? If we focus on this one thing, everything else kind of falls into place. And that's why we need to pay attention to what Jesus said. So what did Jesus say in response to this question? Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 34. So the teacher asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Let's pray together. Lord, this time is yours. This church is yours. So build it. Minister to your church, to your people whom you love dearly. Oh Lord, that we would focus on the one most important thing today. And the many things that we care and love, I pray, O Lord, that you reorient our hearts, you reorient our lives, O God, to focus on and to live upon, to be built upon the most important thing. So Lord, the things in our lives that need to fade away, may they fade away. The things that in life need to be built up, may they be built up again. We lift up this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the next three weeks, we're going to be exploring this passage. Well, actually, we're going to be exploring all the different facets of this passage because if you're familiar with your Bible, Jesus quoted in his response. He quoted two Old Testament passages from books that we're probably not as familiar with. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four to five, and Leviticus chapter nineteen, verse eighteen. And my, I'm going to wager and hazard a guess that these are the two books of the Bible that we're probably less familiar with. But to Jesus' audience, these were the books that they were most familiar with. And when he quoted these two passages, they were well aware of what he meant. But are we? And so what I want to do is over the next few weeks, I want to actually bring us to those passages and see what Jesus actually meant when he said, this is the greatest commandment. For today though, for today, which is, treat this as part one of a one sermon that goes over three Sundays, okay? That's the, best way to, that's the best way to take it. But this is the introduction. So for today, all I want us to see is this one thing, okay? Do you realize that Jesus was asked for one greatest commandment, but he gave two? Do you realize that? He was asked for what is the greatest commandment and Jesus said two commands. Did he misunderstand the question? No, he was very intentional in how he answered the question because we, I think, have a misunderstanding. We tend to separate these two commands and treat them as two separate commands that we need to do. So one command is to love God with everything. And then the other, which is a close second to the first, is to love people. But what if Jesus meant... No, 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 these aren't two commands that are really important. These two form one command that is really important. These two commands are one commandment. And these two are the greatest commandment. And all I want to see today, what I want to convince you on today is that the greatest commandment is to love God by loving others. We love God by loving others. Okay so, the greatest commandment, love God with everything, love people like you love yourself. Okay, this commandment, this one commandment challenges us in two ways, two ways. The first is this, it challenges our love for many things, our love for many things. We all naturally love many things in this life. Now, how do you know you love something? Let's keep it real simple here. You know you love something when it takes your attention, when you think about it. When during your day, you're daydreaming, your mind drifts off to somewhere or to something or to someone. You know you like that thing or you know you love that thing, right? Because it takes your attention. You know you love something when you get excited about it. Excited about it. Some of you, you woke up on Saturday, Saturday morning, you jumped out of bed and went, it is golf day, right? You got excited about it. You know you love golf. You don't just like it, you love it because it got you excited. Your emotions are tied to that thing. Another way you know that you love something is when you can put a tremendous amount of effort into doing that thing. For example, for example, some of you don't just like sports, you love sports. You love sports. You don't just watch your team play on the weekend, you think about your team throughout the week. It's always on your mind. It's always on your heart. You're not only just following your team, you're following all the other teams that are interacting with your team because how they perform affects how your team performs. You're following their injuries, their transfers, how the lives of the players, right? You know so much about them. You know inside them inside and out. Some of you are so crazy that you would wake up in the middle of the night to watch your team play live. You know it's recorded, right? <laughs> but you will wake up at 2 a.m. just to see your team play another team. You're crazy. You love sports. You love your team. Now, loving things is not wrong. It's not wrong. I'm not, I'm not judging you. I'm not condemning you. Loving things is not wrong. In fact, there's some things that are you should love. For example, your kids, your spouse. Should you love those things? Of course you should. Some of you love your work. Some, not all, right? But some of you love your work. And that's not necessarily a wrong thing. But here's the tragic reality that many people end up in. Is that when we have our loves in out of order or in the wrong priority. Sometimes our love for something good can become something bad. When we put, when we live our life out of order, sometimes something that should bring us delight, instead of bringing delight, brings us heartache. For example, for example, have you ever met or do you know a parent that loves their kid a bit too much? Don't look at them don't even, don't, don't point at them, don't even, yeah, no. No, and if you, if you're a kid and that's your parent, just silence, right? But, you know, this can work out in two ways, right? A kid that lo- A parent that loves their kid too much, they can either manifest itself in just spoiling them silly. Whatever they want, they get, right? There's no no, there's only yes. Okay? The other way it can manifest itself is that you control their schedule like a maximum security prison, right? Everything is planned to the minute, right? They don't have weekends. They have, they have stuff to do, right? You know, they've got piano. They've got all the stuff they do. They've got, they got extracurricular activities, right? And both are from love. Both are these parents trying to love their kids. The first is trying to give their kids good things. I mean, why wouldn't I give my child, whom I love, something good? Therefore, if I can provide for it, why don't I just give that th- good thing? The other, who controls their schedule, so totally, they want to give their kids the best opportunities in life. And that's where they get them to do all these things, so they have exposure and all that stuff. But instead of giving them life, it squeezes the life out of them. Now, this is a product, not of that, you, this is not to say that you shouldn't love your kids or you shouldn't give good stuff to your kids or that you shouldn't plan, um, give them good opportunities in life. No, no, no. But this is, can, this, is, this is what happens when loving your kids becomes the preeminent thing in your life. When your life revolves around loving your kids, sometimes something good can Turn and be corrupted into something that is bad. And this is a product of love that is out of order. Love that is disordered, out of order in the wrong place in your life can result in some, a good thing becoming a bad thing. You, give you another example. Um, is it possible to love serving God too much? Love serving God too much. I think it is. I think it is. There's some people that live and breathe church, not God, church, ministry. Their faith is tied to their ministry. In fact, they love ministry, they wouldn't admit it, but they love ministry more than God. They spend more time serving Him than actually being with Him. Now, serving God is a good thing, right? Serving God is a good thing and it's a beautiful thing when it's in the right order. But when serving God becomes the most important thing in your life, when you love ministry more than even God Himself, oh, it can be an ugly thing, the number of people that I see is on fire for the Lord, serving God so much that it's practically their second home, right? Church is their second home, they never leave church, right? They end up being the most tired, most cynical, Most distant people in church, some of them, instead of drawing closer to God, they end up walking away from Him. That's such a sad thing. How can such something so beautiful as ministry and serving the Lord be twisted into something that leads someone away from Him? It's disordered love. It's when something good takes the place, takes the wrong place in our lives. There's this quote that I found that I, that I think that, um, conveys this so well. Erwin W. Lutzer, uh, Christian author and speaker, said this, "'Better to love God and die unknown than to love the world and be a hero. Better to be content with poverty than to die a slave to wealth. Better to have taken some risks and lost than to have done nothing and succeeded at it. Better to have lost some battles than to have retreated from the wall. Better to have failed when serving God than to have succeeded when serving the devil.'" What a tragedy to climb the ladder of success only to discover that the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. And this is the reason why we need to pay attention to what Jesus said when he said, this is the most important thing that we need to focus on. This is the most important thing that we need to do, that we need to pay attention to, because we can naturally live our lives for so many things, in so many ways, pursuing so many different things that we love and that are good. But wouldn't it be a tragedy if we did all these things, we're super busy in life, but we ended up realizing at the end that we had climbed a ladder so high and succeeded in so many ways, but yet it didn't matter. We lived our life climbing a ladder that was leaning against the wrong wall. And what Jesus is trying to do is to reorient our lives and go, this is the right wall that we need to build our lives On, And it is this, to love your God with everything. But why though? Why love God over everything else? Why Him? Because God alone knows the best way to live your life. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says this, For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If God created you, and if he created everything in your life that is good, then doesn't it make sense that he would know the best way to live your life? The correct order in which all these good things fall into place to bring life to you rather than destruction? And conflict. God created all things, and all things were created for Him, and He holds all things together. Let me illustrate to you this way. Kind of this. So, this is a children's toy, as you can tell. Um, and have you, if you've ever seen a child play with a toy like this, what they would do is they would tip everything out, and everything would fall all over the place. Okay, And how they will approach this toy is they'll just grab whatever's nearest to them. Right? However things fall, they'll just grab the nearest thing to them and they'll just start stacking and putting things into place. Right? And they'll look at it and go, oof, that doesn't look right if they're that mature and developed. And they'll go, okay, let me try again. And they'll tip it off all over and try again. And you know what? Some of us live life like this. Some of us live life like this. We just grab on to the thing that is most important or most urgent or that we want to do and we just start doing it. And we just take life as it comes. So we go, okay, well, work's really busy right now. Work's taking my time. i, I got to do a lot of work. Ooh, um, but I need some rest time. I need my off time. So I'm going to have some time to rest, pursue my hobbies and stuff like that. Oh, but you know what? My wife keeps telling me that I need to spend time with the kids. So i got to do that. And then, you know, oh, Church tells me I got to serve, got a mission trip. Okay, I, I, I suppose I'll do that too, right? And our life ends up looking like this, right? It's not exactly pretty, but it kind of works. But sometimes you risk, right? Some things don't fit, or you know, you run out of time for things. Things drop, that kind of stuff. Now, if you're smart though, right, you know that some things should come first, right? So you will go, okay, well, I got. I got to put God first, right? Church tells me, my leader tells me, I got to do my devotion. So I'm going to do that first. And then after that comes family. Right? Family comes next. Right after God comes family. Okay, got to do family. Then, what well, work's a big part of my life. You know? faith, at, faith at home, faith at work. So I'm going to do that too. And then when all things are done, I will then... Do my own hobbies, pursue my own interests, and that kind of thing. And that's how we order our life. Now, what if I told you that that was a mistake? What if I told you that living life like that is a mistake? Namely, that our mistake is that we think loving God means putting Him first as one piece of our puzzle. So we think, right, and this is a mistake, we think that loving God with everything is simply putting Him as the first thing of our day. So we hear a message like this, or we read a passage like this, and we go, okay, i got to love God with everything. Okay, this is what I'm going to do, right? Ready? I'm going to wake up early and pray. Done. I have fulfilled the command of God. Next. Really? Does that make sense? Does it make sense? Do you think that just by reading your Bible the first thing in the morning means that you have fulfilled the greatest commandment of our Lord? Does that make sense to you? Is there something missing? Something's missing, right? What if Jesus didn't mean by this command to just put Him as the first power of the day, but to see Him as the thing that holds everything together? What if God... Jesus is trying to make us realise that He is not this, He is this. He is the thing on which everything hangs, on which He holds everything together, on which everything revolves around. He is the thing which determines the correct order in our lives. And the problem that we have is we, by nature, want to make Him just one part of our day. But He is saying, no, 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 no. I want to be part of every part of your day. Everything in your life revolves around me. I am infused in every part of your life. So when you look after your kids, when you spend time with your spouse, I am there. You are loving me by loving them. I influence, I affect how you spend time with your kids, how you love your wife and spouse and partner. Your work. You don't just go to work and leave me at home. No, no, no. I am with you when you work. How you work, run your business, interact with your colleagues, you're loving me through it all. What if that is more of what he meant? That he infuses every part of our day. Every part of our day, every part of our life is wrapped around him. And when we do that, then I think we come closer to understanding what Jesus meant. And I know conceptually, it makes kind of sense. But practically, how do we do that? And that's what I want to explore in the next couple of weeks, right? But that's what I want us to see, right? That Jesus is not an event, a part of our day. He's everything. That's what He wants us to see and to change in our lives. And when we get that right, Then, we start to see that, oh, he starts influencing and affecting how I treat others. And this is the second challenge that is part of this greatest command, is to put people over sacrifice. People over sacrifice. I want you to pay attention to the response that the teacher gave to Jesus. He said this in verse 33. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. He's affirming what Jesus has said. And what the teacher of the law is actually tugging on is a thread that began in Micah chapter 6, verse 6 to 8, which says this, and I want to read it out to you With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Because the temptation, here's the temptation that we naturally want to do is we, when we come across a commandment like this, or an instruction like this, to love your God with everything, right? What we naturally want to do is go, okay, what do I need to sacrifice? How much more do I need to do for the Lord to show Him how much I love Him? And so what we naturally go to is things like, okay, i got to wake up early to read my Bible. i got to start serving in ministry. I've got to start doing this and doing that to show Him how much I love Him. I, what do I need to sacrifice? But here's the, the, the tricky thing with that. And I'm not invalidating that entirely. Those things are important. But the misunderstanding that we have is if we think by doing that, that's all God wants. That is how we show we love God. No. Because you see, what is Micah saying here? He's saying to the people of Israel, you could empty your house of all its belongings and give it to the Lord and it, would, and it would totally miss the point of what God is trying to say and what God intends. What does God require of you? Not to empty your bank account. It is to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus summarized it in one command. Love God by loving others. Love God by loving others. 1 John 4, verse 20 says this, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. This is how we rationalise it in our lives, right? We mistreat our colleagues, we backstab them, we gossip behind, their, behind our friends' backs, we, we mistreat our employees, we neglect our family, and, but we console ourselves with, oh, but don't you know how much I give to the church? Don't you know how much I serve? Don't you know that I read the Bible every day? I don't just read one chapter, I read three chapters a day. I know the Bible inside and out. Don't you know that I go to equip classes, I go to Arrows College, right? I go to all these things. I serve in all these ways. I give up and I sacrifice for God in all these ways. Don't you see that that's how I love Him? Doesn't God appreciate those things? So surely He can just overlook these other areas of my love of how I treat people. What if... God would look at those things and go, those mean nothing to me. Those mean very little to me. In fact, in fact, I'm not really looking at how much you give to me, I'm looking at how much you lay down your life for other people around you. And that is a more accurate depiction and reflection of how much you truly love me. Because if you truly loved me, you would love the things I care about. Let me put it this way. I have, a, I have two children. I have an oldest daughter um, who's about three years old and a younger son who's one years old. Now, let's just say a hypothetical situation. My daughter is the most obedient girl and kid for a day, right? She listens to everything I say to her. I say, do this, she does it immediately. I say, don't do this, she doesn't do it. She helps me with the chores, she plays happily and quietly by herself. It's an amazing day. Now, let's just say on this amazing day, at the very end of the day, I hear screaming from the room, and I walk in, to my horror, I see my daughter punching my, her brother, pulling his hair, and kicking him down on the ground. Okay, completely hypothetical scenario. Okay. Now, how would I feel? Would I have a right to be angry with her and upset? Now, you don't need to be a parent to answer this question. Would I be angry? Of course I would be. But why? She was obedient to me. She did everything I told her for most of the day. But why would I have every right to be angry with her? Because she hurt someone I cared about. She hurt someone I cared about. This is the thing we need to understand. Loving God doesn't just mean listening to what he says. It means caring about what he cares about. Loving God is not just listening to what it says, but loving what he loves. And who and what does God love? Look at the people around you. That's who God loves. He especially has a soft spot for those who are powerless in this world, for the weak, the homeless, the people on the fringes of society, the children who have no power in this world. Those who have been oppressed, his heart goes out to them. Do we have the same heart as the Lord Jesus? Because if we don't, if our love for God does not actually show itself in our love for others, then maybe we have a disordered kind of love our love is in disorder. Our love is not pure. Because how can you say that you love God whom you have not seen when you mistreat and oppress and abuse and gossip behind and treat people poorly whom you have seen? It doesn't make sense. And that's what all these people in the Bible are saying. And that's what Jesus is saying with the one greatest commandment. You love God by loving others you show your love for God by how you love others, because if you don't if we miss this if all we think about fulfilling the greatest command of really following Christ, of pleasing God is simply to do more for Him in church well then we might end up like a group of people that Jesus Jesus often interacted with, that He had many things to say against Matthew 23, it's 23 to 25, says this. He is talking to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious religious elite, the most devout people in the city, in the nation. He said this about them. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites! You hypocrites! You You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, meaning meticulous following, following of the law but you have neglected the more important matters of the law justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat by, but swallow a camel woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees you hypocrites clean the outside of the cup and dish but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. What does Jesus call people? Who do kind of what he says, sacrifice a lot, but miss the heart of our Lord. What does he call them? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. You hypocrites. You serve in church, you read your Bibles, but you mistreat your colleagues. You hypocrites. You think you love the Lord, but you have missed the most important matters of the Lord, the heart of our Lord Jesus. He has a heart for people. But you think it's just about how much you can give, how much you can serve, how much you can do for him. No, 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 no. We become a stench in the nostrils of our society, of our communities, when all we do is we act all holy and righteous and devout, but have no loving care for them. We have missed something. We've missed something. To be rich in sacrifice but poor in love is not what it means to follow Jesus Christ. We have missed the most important thing in following Jesus, and that is to love Him with everything and let that overflow in a love for others. Now, if you are thinking, sounds good, that's impossible. This is so hard to do. How do I treat, I mean, this fancy illustration pass, but how do I do the whole thing about making in the centre? How do I let that love of God overflow into love for others? How do I do that? Tune in next week. But, <laughs> but, seri- no, no, but, but, but seriously though, right, it actually doesn't start with you. Because when we, when we read something like this, we immediately think, okay, I've I, I got to do it. to Do it with all my strength, right? That's, that's part of the command, right? i got to love God with all my strength, everything that I am. Yes, but it doesn't start with you. The mistake that we make is to think that we have to conjure the source of love. But let's, let's just be honest. You, you can't do it, right? You just don't have enough love for people. You don't. I mean, I've tried, have you ever tried loving someone just freely? Without any strings attached, just love them just because. It's been nothing in return. It's hard, isn't it? You get a bit angry sometimes. It's hard not get angry. It's like calculating well, oh, I did this for them, I did that for them, I did this one. Why aren't they responding to me? You know, why aren't they reciprocating? It's hard. Why? Because you cannot just freely give love. You need to receive love as well. And that's the key. The key to ever coming close to living this command out, to actually doing this, is to actually first realize that we need the love of Christ to fill us day in, day out. We need the love of Christ. Romans 5 5 says, This is the love of Christ that's poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He pours out the love of Christ into our hearts and makes it real to us. He fills us up with His love to give us the strength and power to love others freely. With no strings attached. He teaches us what it means to truly love God by loving others. He shows us the way. But not only that, do you realize, do you realize that Jesus didn't just ask you to do it, He did it first? Do you realize that Jesus, that, this is how He lived? He, this is how He lived His life. This entire life was lived. With this in mind, to love God with everything that he had to the point where it cost him his life for others. But not just at the cross, but throughout his entire ministry, you see him time and time again being moved with the compassion for the people that needed him. I mean, that's why he healed so many people, right? It's because he was moved with a love and compassion. For them. The miracles were a product of his love. The amazing things that he did, the amazing teachings that he gave, were a product of the love of God working itself through him. You cannot do enough, love enough, be kind enough to make that kind of impact. You need Him. And the first step is to realize that He did it first. That's the gospel. That's the good news, right? It's not that you need to do it. This is all you need to do. No, no. It's to realize that He did it first. This, come on, is how He loved you. This is how He loved you. And it's exemplified on the cross when He suffered and endured torture and eventually died so that you could have life. So that we could have life in Him. He loved us that much. That's so why it says in 1 John three sixteen, this is how we know what love is. This is it. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Therefore, the more we understand that, oh, Jesus Christ has done it first. And because He's done it, I need to receive it. The question is today, Do you grasp the depth, the height, the width, the length of Christ's love for you? The more you grasp it, the more you receive it, the more you experience it, I think, the more it will overflow in the love to others. Come, let's stand, let's stand, I invite you to stand. And the first group of people that I want to give an opportunity to respond is those who want to receive this love. You want to receive Christ, the love of Christ, into your heart. Maybe for the first time ever. And I want to pray this prayer with you. The second group of people are those of you who want, to, want God to make His love real in your life, that you truly, part of you just wants to, you know you. this is key, you know this is the secret sauce, you know that okay if I'm going to do this I need to first have a greater, greater revelation of Christ's love for me and I want to pray for you that the Holy Spirit will reveal His love to you today in greater measure. Okay. So the first group I want to talk to you, are those of you who want to receive Christ. And when you receive Christ, He's gonna pour His love into your heart in a fresh new way. And if that's you, every head bowed and every eyes closed, just for a moment. If that is you, can you just lift your hand nice and high and I would love to pray with you. Don't worry, I'm not gonna get you to come down. I'm not gonna to do anything like that. I'm not gonna get you to embarrass yourself, but I just need you to Raise your hand nice and high so I can see you and acknowledge you and then include you in this prayer. That's you, just raise your hand nice and high and I would love to pray with you. See the hand up the back? See the hand down the front? Praise the Lord, is there anyone else? I want to pray with you. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord yourself as well. If you raised your hand, and even if you didn't, can you repeat this prayer after me? And the rest of the church, do you mind just joining in as well, Uh, support them? Lord Jesus, I want Your love. I recognise that I'm a sinner, and You are my Lord and my Saviour. Today, I confess my sins and receive You as my Lord. Pour out Your love upon me. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Church, can you just give them a huge hand for those of you who did pray that prayer for the first time.